1: Hey guys, welcome back. It's Tuesday. You'll notice that I sat a little different than Paul because I am not in the studio, but Paul is. Yes. And there's there's two reasons for that. The first reason is because there's so much editing to do. I said, Paul, I need to not drive to your house. And it's like 15 minutes away. So, so understand <laughs> that. But the other thing is I have a little bit of a cold and I was like, you know what? That's actually two things. So I'm going to stay home and edit and step away when we only need the podcast. I am here because... Why am I editing this much? It's the East Coast trip, and it comes out Thursday.
0: That's right. Thursday, July 14, 2022, East Coast. We drove from our houses in Utah mm-hmm. five days, five very large filming days, all the way to yes. Redwood, Philly. That was our destination. But we did stop along the way, because you might have heard. We haven't released photos yet, but we'll have to release maybe a few teaser photos just to show what we did along the way, because we we stopped in some fields
1: yeah, we, we had madness. There was madness along the way. There will actually be a trailer coming to social media in the next couple of days. There'll be some photos posting to YouTube to kind of tease it because we really want all of you guys to be ready to watch this on YouTube. It'll be an hour long. It is a monster. It has a ton of shots. I'm in color right now. The mix is done. There's all the steps. It's just I've been all about the post the last week or so on this piece because it is. it probably will be, I think, I can say this comfortably, it will be the largest piece we've ever released directly to YouTube. So, we want everybody to watch it we hope you'll you'll enjoy it and and it is I know this is easy to say there's something for everybody it's not just a road trip. I mean, many of you enjoyed our west coast trip, and thank you, but this piece goes beyond that into random things to see on the side of the road. moments of us actually filming stuff to just be goofy i mean there's lots of, there's like different styles of stuff going on in this piece so <laughs> if if you're listening to this podcast, and you are, obviously, because that's why you're hearing this message, there will be something you will probably smirk at. So I hope you, I hope you watch it and enjoy it.
0: <laughs> well, this piece, not only is it coming to YouTube, but it's also going to be two TV episodes, mm-hmm. which has already begun mm-hmm. season 11. The next episode is episode three. That is Saturday, July 16th, 2022, 730 Eastern. It's called The Road to F1. Mm -hmm. And we drove Formula cars starting at Formula Ford, Formula Atlantic, and all the way to an actual F1 car. All cars were from the 70s. So that is coming, but so is this East Coast piece. But what's cool and unique about the YouTube version is it's much longer because we're so time constrained with TV episodes. Mm -hmm. There's an entire center section that won't be seen on TV that is YouTube only, and we swap cars and... We drove a Jaguar XJ220. You probably saw that on our Instagram, yes. our social media feed, because we've been interested in this car for a long, long time.
1: Big time. Big but, time. Yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, thanks to our sponsors for TV. We couldn't do it without these guys. Covercraft, use the code EVERYDAY22. Grio's Garage, use the code EDRIVER when you're shopping. And autotempest.com slash everyday so they know that you've been searching. You heard it on this podcast and uh, and you're searching there. But this Jaguar XJ220, we knew this car was coming. And so we actually drove because we wanted a supercar from the Radwood era, the era of our mm-hmm. cars, yeah. to be yeah. included in the film in the midst of everything else that Todd just described to you. So we knew it was coming and we drove at the same time as we did the road to F1P so that it was actually driven in Washington. But that enabled us to just focus on the car. Because we had it for about half a day. Well, Mm -hmm. actually less than that. It was just hours. And thanks to Griot's Garage 2, their photographer, John Bunker. He is Bunker 3rd on Instagram. And our friend, Adam Kramer. He is the founder of Avance Car Club in Seattle. All helped us get this particular car, find the owner, and arrange for it to be on track. Because it is not registered for the street. And that helps the owner. So you don't have to pay registration constantly. But then for events like this... We had to trailer it to the track. We had to get the car out there to Ridge Motorsports Park from the Seattle area. And it was an undertaking because, you know, we've got to have insurance and and person trailering it. Thanks to all these guys that, that really helped all these moving pieces come together to get it out there so we could focus on the car and film it. It is an extremely large car.
1: Absolutely, yes. It's huge. everything about it is bigger than you think, except for the interior, which is smaller than you think. Yeah, the whole the whole thing was crazy because you know this has been my white whale. I have wanted to drive one of these cars forever. Yeah, yeah, and because it's just one of these cars, you never see. I mean, as weird as this sentence is, I'm about to say, I feel like you see McLaren F ones more than you see Jaguar XJ220s, which is just madness. So you, you <laughs> never see these sentence. cars. And exactly. And and we have talked about wanting to have a really cool Redwood era supercar in the ra- each of the last three. We didn't on the first one, but the next three of these big road trip pieces, we wanted to have a cutaway to some other car of the era we could talk about and kind of put it in context. Paul already mentioned it. The Grios folks had this car as a cover car on their uh their catalogue they sent out. Around the same time, the Avance magazine had it as a featured car. So we were mm-hmm. like, okay, clearly, it's in the Seattle area. <laughs> yeah. And through those contacts, we got in contact with the owner, kind of third person, kind of contact with the owner. And they explained, the person, it wasn't us, somebody else explained on our behalf what we wanted to do. And the owner came back and said, I don't really want to advertise this car. I don't really you know, want to be featured about this car We were like, wait a minute, hang on. It's already out there that it exists. What we're confused. We come come to find out what we realized is the owner didn't want to be on camera, and we were like, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. We need to drive the car for camera. We're not looking to interview you. That's not. At that point, he was actually really game, but he thought we were kind of all like, yeah, we want to put you on camera and interview about the car. He had no interest in that. So once he realized we were going to drive it and feature it, he was actually pretty excited and came with the car. I mean, he didn't trailer it out, but we had somebody trailer it. And yeah, just finding somebody with the trailer that was good for the car was hard because straight yeah. from the owner, his comment was, you have to find something that can handle a car the size of a Cadillac Escalade. And I went, that's not what I expected. Okay, let's <laughs> look into that.
0: Yeah, the the trailer itself was one of those kneeling trailers, you know, really cool, but it can get very, very low, but the car still has to be up on blocks and then winched onto the trailer. So yeah. just the process to get the car to be able to shoot it. I mean, that was a huge step. And then, of course, yeah. we dropped into filming to, to do it. But it was just, it was stressful. It was, it was nerve-wracking. You know, we started early in the morning, so the car had to show up early. And, yeah. you know, we just had limited time with the car. But the owner was very gracious and easy going yeah. about it. And as we were getting to know him, he has two other very rare Jaguars. And he said to me, well, I'm more of a Ferrari guy. I was like,
1: what? No, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, you're clearly you're not. You have crazy Jaguars in your garage, but whatever. All right. But yeah,
0: he loves showing off the car and talking to people about Jags and it's it's a special car. So that review is in smack dab in the middle of the YouTube version of the East Coast episode. We just sort of take a break and finally drive a Radwood era supercar. So that is coming and that is reason to watch the whole film there. But speaking of Rad, we love our relationship with Haggerty, and we love them, they love us, and it's it's cool. We were you know kind of revisiting because of this episode we were thinking about let's talk about some of the cars that we saw at Radwood Philly, and then also from uh, Haggerty Marketplace, too, I was finding a few cars on there. I don't mm-hmm. think you and I have really discussed some of the standouts, and I promise it will be all non Porsches when I'm good for discussing. You. I, I promise You're
1: growing I'm impressed I'm, I'm really impressed. trying yeah.
0: Yeah. But I realized we hadn't really kind of broken down some things that stood out, intrigued us, you know, reminders. It will also be non sobs, even though there are a lot of sobs there and it seems
1: like sobs are having this
0: resurgence.
1: But but that's the other thing is that Radwood, you know, obviously it it gave us a wonderful finish line for the east coast piece mm-hmm. that was yeah. what great what was great yeah. when we we're thinking about going east coast we were trying to figure out what the place would be and, and having Redwood as a destination was perfect getting to take our cars there was awesome but uh the the craziness is the amount of cars that were there and then the fact and, and i know i'm a little slow on the uptake here but Redwood is also now part of the Haggerty family, so there was this great synergy in all of that. Mm-hmm. We actually were on the yeah. Dragonwall Awesome podcast while we were there, so it was really cool to hang out with all those guys who, who we 've been on their podcast and they 've been on ours before, but we 've never met in person until we got out to philly that 's right, so we got yeah. to see. We got to see them do, uh, this is going to sound weird. I, I didn't expect them to be involved in it. That is, they were the guys literally walking people in to park their cars. It wasn't like we yeah. started Redwood and we'll show up when the show really starts and we'll sip, sip a latte. No, no. They were there before we were there. And they were the guys that started it, Art Lane and Warren. They were there actually walking cars in and going, no, no, no. I want you to park right here. They mapped it. So it was really cool to see how involved they were. And they created it for themselves. And now, Redwood, is this thing? And if you haven't been, and we hadn't been before this, you have to go. But I will start here because when we were pulling in, we pulled in really early because where where they placed us, they kind of packed in cars around us. And when we pulled in, they pulled in two 90s-era Callaway Corvettes. And I thought that was amazing that there were two. What was funny is then another guy showed up with a C5 Corvette, and they parked him near the Callaway's. And then a couple hours later, right before the show started, a third guy showed up with a Callaway Corvette, at which point they kicked the regular C5 out of the special Callaway <laughs> section to add the third Callaway Corvette. I, I honestly think, short of Callaway themselves, there have never been three Callaway Corvettes parked together, ever.
0: Those always did it for me. When those came out in the 90s, I that really did it for me. I mean, I I guess looking back, the... The aero kit, the styling wasn't my favorite because it elongated the car. Sure. But now when you see them in person, I didn't know they made that many. I still have no idea how many Callaways actually built from that era, but there's three of them and you know, the whole magic is under the hood. So the hoods came up and you know, you just read all the specs and owners are proud to show off their cars, but I've never seen an actual Callaway in the flesh until then, but I've also never seen one rolling. Like part sure. of it, you know, just driving around. It, they're just so rare. I, I want owners to drive these things. But still, it was so cool to see these cars. Just and
1: it struck me. was such a good thing. That's what I couldn't believe was there was three of them. Yeah. I mean, and, and first thing in the morning, we're like, oh, wow, it's a Callaway Corvette. And then it was like, oh, look, there's three of them parked over there. Yeah. I, who knew? They'd all be at Philly. That was crazy.
0: Well, there was another turquoise C4 Corvette ZR1 that's also uh,
1: see that's a sweet play. spot. I love. I love the C4 ZR1. You have to watch our American original film and see us be surprised by that car. It was great that one was there, and that was the perfect Redwood-era color, too.
0: Man, there, that particular car, when I was at Colorado State, I was just you know, early college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and taking some graphic design classes, and the art director of the program for graphic design at Colorado State had a ZR1. And it just huh. intrigued the daylights out of me. And interesting, he drove it to to the campus and parked it. And I just thought, man, you know, he was totally you know on the on the graphic side of design, but just such a sweet spot. And yeah, such memories. But there was also another turquoise BMW Z3 M Coupe and the dark ultramarine blue parked side by side. And it's kind of weird when when multiple cars of, you know, either competitors of the same generation or multiple cars from that same generation are parked next to each other. There's this little bit of magic that happens. If you see one, it's mm. like, oh, cool, you know, a thing. But then there's two sure, of them yeah. or three. Then you're yeah. like, oh, what is this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. What, what are you guys doing? Yeah. You know, it's suddenly yeah, yeah. it's a thing. But there was a standout that is, it's not for me, okay. but it intrigued me. And it's a Volvo it was the black okay. Volvo 262C Bertoni Turbo that essentially a 2-door 240. Yeah. And yeah, if you yeah. live on the East Coast, I'll bet you've seen this at multiple shows, probably Radwood before, but multiple car shows. It had New York tags and the the gold wheels. So it was blacked out with the CCW gold wheels on it. It just looked sweet. It's not my thing really, but it just it's like keeping Volvo alive from that era is really cool.
1: Well, and it's a where where have you seen one of those cars? exactly? It's like, wait, yes. what what is that? You know, and when you, you walk over to it and you get close to it, and that's the thing I love about it is the the seed cars that you never expected to bump into, and they're just parked. They drove them in this morning <laughs> yeah. and they parked them. That's the thing about it is that the vast majority now some of these, at least one of the Callaways was was trucked in, but everything else, especially in the area where that Volvo was. Those people didn't bring them in on trailers. They drove them in that morning. Now I don't know if they drove them in from New York, but they certainly drove them in that morning. And most people that <laughs> right. were there at Radwood—that's the other thing. that was cool. You're not coming in with a with a Monterey-style entourage and your big trailer. Exactly. You drove the car there, which so was really cool. really cool. And there was the guy with there was the guy with the convertible Yugo. <laughs> you remember? I I had forgotten they made a cabriolet <laughs> Yugo, and here he was. And I overheard somebody talking about the fact that that owner. Uh, was was in a conversation, of course, about Yugo's. Because if you bring the Yugo to Redwood show, you're going to talk about Yugo's all day. And somebody said having they'd seen one at another show, and the Yugo owner at the Redwood show knew the other owner's name because, of course, you do. If you own a Yugo, you know everybody <laughs> in the U.S. that owns a Yugo. So, yeah, there was a Cabriolet Yugo, which made me laugh. There was so much great stuff. And, you know, the ones that I saw that I had forgotten was of the era, and I was like, you know, those are the, one of those cars, kind of like I didn't see an Isuzu Viacross, even though I wanted to. But it's like it's in that era for me where it's cars that I kind of like and a part of me wants – and the rest of me knows I shouldn't, and that is the Prowler. Really? You dig those? I, I, I just, I like them for the, so many reasons I like the Via Cross. It's just so different and so of its time. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool to just say I've got, and then I go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to correct myself and not do that. <laughs> pull up, you pull know? up! <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but, but also the Prowler also seems to me... Like it 's newer than that, but I realized no, no it 's of that era you can You can just barely like the first prowlers were nineties you know they were nineties and early 2000s, and so it does actually work, so there <laughs> were there was a, a gorgeous prowler there, and then of course the and the thing that always corrects me when I see one is I remember that it had a, a known to be unimpressive engine, and it only came in auto and I just yeah, think, yeah,, how different would the buyer have been genuinely wonder how different the buyer would have been if it had been a V8 and a stick shift. Totally. I just wonder what that car would have been and how many of them would have wound up in hedges if that had been that, if that had been that car. (laughs) But, uh, we saw a perfect one of that. And then I will say that two cars that like really tug at me that I would absolutely own if I could, I'm scared of them. Well, one of them I'm scared of, and that is the Porsche 944 turbo.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was really that Club Sport those. there, the 968 Club Sport. Was, yeah, anyway. that
1: was a special car. That was a 25-year import car. That car, mm. you, we had to pry you off of that car. I know. But the 944 turbos, when you see those, and, and the thing is, that's one of those cars, kind of like your 928, Paul, but even more so, where you see them at all ranges. You see them from the one that is a bit clapped out and you're lucky it runs, to the Concours quality 944 turbo. right. right. And I know that there is like a house mortgage between those two on how much money is spent (laughs) to make the bad one that you could barely afford into a concourse quality car. But I do think, and I saw a couple, the car from the Radwood era that I would own, the only one I would like to own more than the 300 ZX I have, there is actually one. Okay. And that's the original NSX. That is the only car of that era that I would buy over a 300 ZX. Now it's, more than twice the cost of a 300dx which is the reason i haven't owned one but i even the ones that are high miles and nothing's been done but just wash it occasionally i'm still like yeah i'd have that
0: i can see that well there was that lotus esprit v8 turbo there that well it was painted yeah. silver so that was a repellent but then it was a lotus v8 turbo it and was. so was, oh, I, you were yeah, a I little conflicted and mm-hmm. you know i mm-hmm. i kind of had to peel you off yeah. that thing but oh yeah I, I think we need to drive one of those things because. Yes. I just don't know what the build quality is like. Are they rattly and terrible? Are they just ancient now? Or is it still like the right recipe? It's a tiny light thing with a turbo V8. I mean, yes, but there was only one there and it was silver. And I thought, I've always thought they're cool,
1: especially the orange
0: and yellow ones. Uh, What else? There was that green and tan Ferrari 308 that just did it for me. Yeah.
1: Because it was the alternate color. Yeah. It was great.
0: Have you priced 308s lately? Because I... Like three or four years ago they were they were coming down. they were like mm, sixty seventy, eighty thousand dollars for a decent one.
1: Mm. They're no longer that price they are not yes, horrifying what you, i what are you finding them for?
0: Well, I found kinda middle in condition for a hundred and fifty, and then the real nice ones are now two fifty That's just they've gone the I, other
1: way like of course dramatically. They have with everything else but the big swing. And it's amazing to see one that is in a color like that green that, is, that was so very Redwood, but yeah. yet so unique because you just think that car, especially because of the Magnum P.I. effect, that car pretty much only exists in red.
0: Yeah, More exactly. Than, I think just exactly. about
1: any Ferrari out there. It's just a red car. You know? And there's so, the yellow one
0: and the see. occasional brown you know, nougat, whatever you call it, hazelnut.
1: Yes, but then I'm that, on uh, Auto Tempest <laughs> right now. You go to autotempest.com uh, slash everyday. You, you wind up there, and I'm actually on there right now scrolling, and you're right. There are a ton of them over 100K, but it looks like the bottom average is about 80. Okay, so there's still like
0: average ones are still down there, but you, don't wanna, you want a nice one. But 80 uh, is not down
1: there either. That's I know. What's crazy.
0: Yeah, because I thought they were right, going to be
1: down there. The and quasi-affordable, I thought... yeah.
0: Because <sighs> if you're spending $80,000 on a car, Ferrari 308s are not at the top of your list.
1: No, they're not. They're, they're fascinating, but that's not that's not the first place I'm writing a check. I agree. Totally agree.
0: <laughs> I mean, for me, Subaru Brats are at the top of my list if I'm spending...
1: That's true. You have such a thing for those. <laughs> we did see a pristine one of those. We
0: did. Well, I was also poking around on the Hagerty Marketplace, and I did find you a Proton Yellow Isuzu Via Cross for $16,900. Perfect. I found four E-types. The, uh, well, they were mostly... Not the greatest colors, like, you know, dull celery or wilted vegetable color, you know, from the 70s or 60s. The one I found was a 68, just like the one we drove in the recent Inspiration Cars piece. $85,000. So, talking 80 grand, I think E-types are worth it. I don't think 308s are.
1: Yes, that's funny because I wonder if you and I found the same one. I, I got on there and I actually didn't. I looked at Radwood-era cars first, and then, of course, I got sucked in sideways to the E-Type. Yeah, so I did actually find one E-Type. That I, then I'm going to talk Radwood-era cars again. But this E-Type was interesting because it was $85,000, a 68 hardtop coupe that they claim, because you have to claim this, right? They claim is the only one ever painted in a Mercedes blue. Was it that and baby I thought,
0: blue I, or more like uh, yeah. the Tiffany's?
1: It's it's a very light blue color, and I thought I don't know that I would ever be drawn to that, but you're sure trying to sell the fact that it's a one-of-one, so that's on there. But in the Redwood world of Haggerty Marketplace, because I thought, all right, Haggerty's involved with Redwood now. What do they have in that world? I did find a prowler, because of course I did.
0: Because of course you did.
1: Yes. I found the car that I forgot about from the era briefly, and then I remembered I am my father's son, and that is. The 19, what is it, a 96? Hang on, I'm finding it. It's it's not a Caprice Classic. No, no, because I've actually experienced those. But it is the closest I would get to my dad's love of the Caprice Classic, and that is the 95 Chevrolet Impala SS. Oh! That's a cool car. That's a cool car. That's the one that was the smooth-looking one that was the Impala SS. That is the random 90s GM iron close to the Caprice that I would actually buy. This one, of course, is 10,000 miles on it. But it is the original factory, and it's also that metallic cherry color for forty grand. That actually is a—that's a car I would proudly drive to Radwood right there. I I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just glad that there's a a place for classics like we Actually, owned the ones we actually owned, I wouldn't drive that to Radwood proudly. But the Impala SS, I would take that to Radwood. That was that was cool. Find. I mean, just think—the
0: car you had in high school and and college now becomes the centerpiece. Of a future car show. I mean, there's no way you
1: would. <laughs> <laughs> except even this that, is not the, this is not the boxy terrible one like we had. This it was, was the, the, the Trans Am kind of that you had. The that you had, that 80, it is the carry-up. You're 82 right. Eighty-two, world's worst with the Iron Duke two and a half liter uh, four cylinder that had no power at all. Yeah, that was. I do not need to return to that era. That's fine.
0: I found one that you've forgotten about. Everybody's forgotten okay. about 1988 okay. Mitsubishi Sterion. Oh yeah. For twelve thousand five hundred
1: dollars. Okay, that's not terrible. That's a, a fine. Yeah, there's a guy that drives his his I think it's a Starion to every single Radwood, and I think he breaks down every time he goes. But he's, he's like famous. He came to the <laughs> to our meetup, in fact. He, he's famous for That's coming right. to all the Redwoods. It's his Silver Starion. I think his name is Ron. I could be getting that wrong. But he comes to all of the Redwoods, and there are many, many stories about not only is he back at Redwood again, but I think the car breaks on every single trip, but I applaud him for taking it, which is phenomenal. Let's see
0: what else I found an 88 Jeep grand Wagoneer for $14,500. My oh, first that's car on the
1: heartstrings. Well, yeah. yeah,
0: my first car that I shared with my sister in high school was the Cherokee. Yeah. The Wagoneers were too nice. I just got the lower grade Cherokee from our dad. But,
1: yeah. And
0: it was a 77 and it rusted from the inside out. But I will say, if you've <laughs> been on, have you been on wagonmaster.com lately? Just go, just go to wagonmaster.com and horrify yourself. Because Mm -hmm. these are the nice ones. They've been refurbished, and they're blindingly expensive. Yeah. This one is a bit rough, but it looks decent. $14,500. By comparison, wagonmaster.com has them for $129,000.
1: That's madness. It's utter madness. I mean, I, I had no idea,
0: like, that was the, you know, my, my mom called it the Cadillac of Colorado because when we moved to Colorado, that was the thing, you know, you had the ski truck and sure. that was the cool sure, car, yeah, yeah. but what?
1: Yeah, Out that's hard. I, I I did find the, uh, the definitive Prowler and no, nobody will be surprised that it's in Tucson, Arizona. It of has a it grand is. total of less than 18,000 miles on it. Owned by one owner since new, less than 18,000 miles. Of course, because it's a Prowler, that means it is only V6 and only automatic, which are the problems with this car. But it's been driven essentially less than 1,000 miles a year, and it's now for sale for $35,000, which feels like way too much. But at the same (laughs) time, I know somebody will get that for that car, because if you want a Prowler, there's nothing else like a Prowler. I just wish they were better than they are.
0: That's so funny. I actually I found myself sort of well lately maybe it's just a phase or maybe I'm ill but I'm kind of into the vintage Mercedes
1: a little bit I know oh oh you you were like a moth to a flame on all the vintage Mercedes that were at the rabbit we were at the the V12 sedan I actually thought you weren't leaving that part of the show at one point
0: I just I don't know why I think they're cool I just think they're cool I don't have a reason I cannot justify it I just think they're cool. And so I was looking around and I found an 88 560 SL for $14,500 with just over 100,000 miles. It's that it's, you look like you're going to the yacht club when you drive this, Uh you look like you, you, you have to have the captain's hat and the crest on your sport coat. Sure. And it was dark Navy blue with the tan top and the tan interior and the chrome wheel arches. And I was just like. It's so cheeseball, but I like yep. those. Plus, they're from the era when Mercedes were built like tanks. And I just recently drove a 68 280 SL. Of course, those are way too expensive, but they're very cool. They're just this cruiser car, and they're, they're just so mechanically cool. And I, I, I like those. They so are, I was looking yeah. around at the SLs and the 380 SLs and all the 70s. I just, I don't know. I think they're cool. They're, they're not driver's cars. They're just cruiser mo- machines, and, but they're still kind of
1: cheap. I think I actually may have found how to win Radwood. I I think I found the car that you don't have to spend a fortune, you might win Radwood. It literally is a former old lady's car. But just thinking about the Radwood era, I have found it's amazing, a 1992 so right in the middle of the Radwood era Cadillac DeVille. It is silver Oh my god. With the black... I can't think of what the top's covered when it's... The, the top's called when it's covered with the material. The oh, the, material. the
0: Landau.
1: Thank you. It is the Landau roof. So it is. It, but here's where it gets awesome, because it's silver with the black Landau roof and the tan interior. But the real thing that makes it worth work is it actually has the gold emblems package, which oh, means that all right. of the Cadillac emblems... Remember this in the 90s? All of those are gold. It means that the trim on the Landau roof is gold, and it means that just the center... Uh, vertical stripes on the grill are gold the rest of it's chrome but the center teeth on the grill are gold with the gold logos that's that's the 90s rolling around on tires that is fantastic it's 6400 dollars That's like buy just just for the laugh of Webby. I realize that's real money. I'm not pretending that that's no money at all. But at the same time, $6,400 to just drive that for a little bit of time and laugh and win Radwood and then probably sell it for the same amount.
0: But you know it's going to be a V8-powered air conditioner, so it's going to be ice cold. And if you need a commuter car, you're not going to be at high RPM. So even though it's probably thirsty, you're not going to be like redlining the thing. You're just going to be easing your way around town Mm -hmm. or your commute. So. That could be a good commuter car. And then, uh, of course, you'll have the laugh of it.
1: Yes, it's an eight-cylinder gold logo, 200-horsepower, ridiculous thing from the 90s. But it's, that is Cadillac doing what Cadillac does right there. And it would be – seriously, I think you roll into that at Redwood. This is the thing that's so funny about Redwood is a car like I just described, you take it to your local cars and coffee, people go, why did they come? You take it to Redwood, you're a star. Exactly.
0: I remember seeing TV commercials, and you probably saw these too as a kid. Where there were so many people who wanted the gold plated emblems on their car. Yes. yes. They were advertising a machine, a plating machine, so you could go into business for yourself to go plate people's emblems on their car. And you just sit on a little stool and you do it while the badges are still in the car. And they're selling this as a way to make money, a way to go into business for yourself because the demand for gold badging and plating on your car is so high.
1: Living in Houston in the nineties, I do remember that. Living in Houston in the nineties, I went to a private school. I was I was one of the the less well to do kids at private school, but my parents pushed hard for it. So kudos to them. The the so there were a lot of uh, cars in the parking lot where it's like I can't believe you have one of those. Okay, yeah. And then those kids decided that they, like everybody else, had to have gold emblems on their cars. And I remember there was a there was a, a confluence of of ridiculous events in Houston in the nineties where many of the kids I went to high school with were fighting to have gold emblems on their cars around the same time that there was now a rash of robberies around the entire town that people were peeling off gold emblems to get the gold off of them. Oh, my gosh. So you invariably would see kids whose cars in the parking lot had, had the gold emblems on them, and then the emblems had been stolen, so now they had no logos. So it's just like I, we're living in a weird time. So anyway, I'm just, I've just – I've literally – this is what's great about redwood You're going back in time, and I could do it with a $6,400 92 Cadillac DeVille and just roll into Radwood with a smile on my face, and be a hero. That's what I love about the Radwood fake. <laughs> yeah,
0: the rest of the time, what are you doing with that car? At yes. the Radwood show, you're like, oh my gosh, you win. That's fantastic.
1: Yes, of course you do. That's the craziest thing about it.
0: <laughs> okay, leaving Radwood behind for just a minute, I came across what the, the cars that you and I had discussed for our big sedan challenge. Okay, good. Give me one reason I shouldn't buy a 23-year-old luxury sedan with a 5.4 liter V12 and 178, a on 178,000 miles. It's a year 2000 750 IL BMW for 7500 bucks. Oh. Give me oh. one good reason I shouldn't buy that car.
1: Uh, the maintenance to get it home <laughs> would probably eclipse it, what it <laughs> cost to did buy Did I it. just answer my own question? Yeah, you did. But well, I mean, it's brilliant. I love it. I, it's fantastic. It's perfect. I am horrified by what that would cost to keep running.
0: And, the, you know, of course, the description is like, runs great. And
1: like, as soon as you buy it,
0: maybe not. Currently.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. Wow, that's that's fantastic. I do like that. So champagne, we kind of, everything. Oh, oh no. Oh god. The that whole nine yards. Champagne, of
0: steering wheel, doors, V twelve. What could possibly go yeah. wrong?
1: Everything is what could go wrong. <laughs> we we had an amazing time at Redwood. I can't wait to share this whole piece with you guys and to see our adventure getting there because it was truly an adventure getting there. And I saw parts of the country I've never seen before and it's it it's I've realized something, and that is that I like road trips now as an adult in a way that I never fathomed I could as a kid. And I think mm-hmm. it's because I was, you yeah. know, a kid with the uh, line across the back seat to, for, to fight over territory with my sister, and we had no screens of any kind, and we we're looking at the, the window, literally saying, "Are we there yet?" So now to actually be the driver and just enjoy with friends and to go across country to take you guys with us, thanks to the camera, I just can't wait to share. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one
0: website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car.
1: AutoTempest.com. All the cars. search
0: the debate comes to us from josh h who is shopping to the to fill the void yeah that's why we all shop
1: yeah for sure there's a void
0: but he does say in his email he has no real need other than the desire for a new experience
1: you've come to the right place
0: (laughs) we are your people josh he's in his 30s two kids he lives in omaha nebraska He has owned about 30 cars and currently owns what he's been calling his attainable dream car, which is a 2021 civic type R that he purchased brand new in July of 2021. Good for you. Excellent car. He says the car is perfect for him. He really enjoys the chance to take it out all the time. And his four year old daughter is already car obsessed, loves to help him detail with the Griot's products and take it to car shows regularly. I love it. Fantastic. He says this car will be going nowhere as he has a lot of years of enjoyment left in it. So it will not be leaving. There's another car in his current co- collection. He says he's got his late father's 2005 Mustang DCF 500 GTR, which was modified to 635 horsepower by a place called the Dream Car Factory, which no longer
1: exists. Wow. That's the designation on that car. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of power in that chassis. We're talking the early mid-2000s Mustang with over 600 horsepower which I'm going to go ahead and say it is too much for that car. That's but insane. Yeah.
0: The built motor, pro charger, six speed Tremec coil overs, one off wheels, six piston Brembo's. Yeah. You're going to have to have huge brakes for that car. Yeah, He owned sure. it since new and it was his pride and joy. And so there's a lot of sentimental attachment to that car. Of course, we, we definitely agree going to nowhere. But Josh has grown up in a Ford family filled with F150s and Fox body Mustangs. He currently does have a 2021 EcoBoost F150 for the daily needs and the weekend projects. And his wife has a new Odyssey for hauling the kids and anything else he says you could ever need to carry around. So he's got the carrying and hauling thing covered. But Josh has been car obsessed from an early age and he says the disease seems to be terminal.
1: Yeah, we're all, yes, I agree. <laughs> Pretty much. There is no cure. There's no cure at all.
0: He's largely a fan of Japanese cars, having owned an assortment of them, and has really been a fan of the hot hatch segment. I mean, you're already, you've already you got the Civic Type R. I mean, that's like a pinnacle yeah, car.
1: You're doing well, for sure.
0: He's been lusting, though, after an AP1 Honda S2000, and he's thinking that should be his next car, but he's here to see what he might be missing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: He loves the analog feel. He loves that 2-liter that revs to 9,000 RPM with the perfect 6-speed. He's yeah. owned early Miatas, And he says they have their shortcomings, and the new ones lack the analog experience that he's looking for. And, Todd, you mentioned that NSX. Josh gets sidetracked by those two, even though he's never even sat in one. But he can't see himself not loving it.
1: They're worth it. Trust me. If you like the S2000, yes. Yes, you would like that car. I I hate to to encourage you, but yes.
0: Josh, let's see. He also suggests uh, 94, 95 Cobras due to his Mustang upbringing. Maybe something like that could work. Or a C506 Corvette. Mm-hmm. He says yep. that is abundant in his search history as well. A manual is a must. A convertible would be nice for when he and his wife get out every once in a while. It's not required. And he's long been a fan of target tops, so there's always that option. Okay, I love it. He says he's got the tools and ability to wrench, but not a lot of free time. So something that is built well and doesn't require too much constant attention would be good. Okay. And his budget needs to stay under $50,000 US. That's a very healthy budget. But he says, budget, yeah. if it comes in cheaper, he's okay with that. But, I mean, you'll have a pretty definitive collection. I mean, by the time we get done with you,
1: Josh, here. For sure. Well, it also sounds like he's owned a ton of stuff. And he even mentions on that Cobra Mustang, by the way, the, the mid 90s Cobra Mustang, another Radway era car, that he's had one. He said he could see himself going back to that. But, uh, you know, it's, we don't even know. We didn't even send us the list mm-hmm. of everything yeah. he owned. So I think, um, I think you have a Mustang, and so the Mustang is solved. I'm gonna come first with the bad news, Josh. And that is I do think the car you want is the NSX. The fifty grand isn't enough. Not anymore. Really <laughs> Not sorry. anymore,
0: unfortunately. I, I'm, really,
1: I'm really, really sorry. They they start like the bottom of the NSXs right now is sixty grand. That's that's the four. Generally, if you really want one, you need to bring seventy to eighty to get a nice one. And then of course there's people with the crazy ridiculous ones. But I'm talking about let me go get buy a nice, ready to drive, well taken care of NSX. Sixty is like you can start in the conversation, and you don't have that much. So, as much as I think that is your car, unless you're going to do the thing that many of you do when you write in, I'll well, just kidding on the budget. I'll add you know twenty five or thirty <laughs> percent. Unless you're doing that, unfortunately, the NSX, while perfect, is probably out.
0: I I love the NSX too, Josh. If you can, yes, I'm in full agreement. But the top of the list, everybody's screaming right now, gr eighty six. And yes, that is a great car to consider, but maybe because it's not a convertible and you've th- sort of thrown out Miatas, but it still remains a top, a top choice. If you're interested, if you have interest, I, I say definitely look at those. Now, we've mentioned C4 Corvette ZR1s. I like that here, but I'm looking back through the list. You've got a pickup truck, a minivan, and pretty much the Civic Type R because that Mustang, how much does that get driven?
1: Uh, can't be much. Can't, can't be, be much. I think that, that's a nostalgia car. Agreed. I, that can't be getting driven very much.
0: So I don't consider that as part of your collection that it gets driven. It's going to stay for sentimental value, of course, but I don't sure, see yeah. that as part yeah. of the thing that gives you what you need out of driving a car.
1: Mm, that's good.
0: And I want you to have something that is different, you know, hopefully rear wheel drive, but because you have the proclivity towards wrenching, I'm wondering if something older might be the ticket here, even though you said you mm, want something okay, reliable, right. but you're going to be in the civic type R most of the time. Or you're going to be hauling stuff. And this is still the side fun car every once in a while. Sure. So, yeah. yes, it needs to run. Yes, it needs to be good. But I'm wondering about going older. I toyed with the idea of an Alpha 4C Spider, but it's Ooh. not a manual.
1: True. That's the issue. True. Yeah. That is hard. Yeah.
0: But then looking back to our episode called Fake Fun.
1: Oh, we, I see where you went.
0: We drove that 356 Porsche replica. Yeah. and we yeah. drove the Daytona coupe but i'm not suggesting the coupe i'm suggesting a shelby cobra replica but the 289 oh. not the 427 go 289 the narrow body it's just yeah. a fun roadster i think yeah. it will fulfill your vintage needs because you're not pulling dad's car out of the garage to go fulfill yeah. you know some sort of like I, I don't know i just i don't see it but you've got a modern fast car already I think you need the analog, a true analog driving experience Ooh, in a 289 that Cobra. That's my, you know, I toyed with the M Roadster, the BMW M Roadsters. They're about 30 grand, but why not a 30 or $40,000? It doesn't have to be pristine. It can be a beater, Sure, yeah, but it's yeah, going to yeah, have yeah. a V8 and it'll just run. 289 Cobra.
1: That's, that, I didn't expect you to go there. That's actually really cool. I think uh, that's interesting. My only concern for you, Josh, with that car is, is your wife going to like that car? Because it's dedicated convertible. It would be very fun. I think you would like it for all your analog reasons. The thing I think is interesting here is that it would be nice to kind of have a convertible to take your wife out. Depending upon your wife's interest in cars, the Cobra might be the coolest thing you ever bought or it might be... Please don't put me in that death trap. I, it's going to be one of the two. There's going to be a middle ground. It's it's not. There's not going to be a. I kind of like your cobra. I either think it's amazing or yeah. I mean, you're not going to be anywhere near it. So you have to have that conversation, which leads <laughs> me kind of back to your S two thousand where you started. And I do want to acknowledge that car is excellent. It's superb. Yeah. Now I, I don't know if you've driven one, but one of the things interesting about the S two thousand that many of us forget is it has electric power steering.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the that first
1: car gives you tons of information about what it's doing but it actually doesn't give you great steering feel because it is electric power steering it's not bad it's not mute like the entire BMW lineup now but the car is communicative but the steering compared to something like an elise is well where is my steering feel which brings up the elise you could Mm. go chase an elise Mm. it has some japanese connection with the engine being from toyota it is as analog as you can get in the modern time. It makes the NSX feel like it's not analog enough. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If, and, and they are target top. The Elise is. The Exige is not. So that is an option. And with fifty grand, you could get an Elise. Unfortunately, it have all jumped. 10 to 15 grand across the board, but 50 grand is a genuine budget to go get a solid Elise. You could get an Elise. Granted, you're going to spend twice as much as the S2000. I made the comment when we, when a couple of times we've driven the S2000, that it is along the same line of thinking as the Elise for roughly half as much. So mm. the problem is, if you get a really pristine S2000, you start, you used to be. Like barking at the door of a, of a lease prices. Not anymore. Now they're they're definitely separated. So you could consider both of those because they are related. I want to follow the rabbit trail of the vet for a second, though, because you brought up the C5 Z06. We like that car. I liked it a lot in our American original film. The definitive front engine corvette i would say is the c6 z06 with the big monster engine that's the definitive one of the front. Engine. it's a monster is, it's great it's a monster but we're also talking about targas so you could go c6 or c7 grand sport which still has a targa has the z06 look but not the z06 monster engine it still gets a Targa top and i even found a white Z51 in our local area here in Salt Lake. The C7 now, which is a surprisingly modern car, was available in our local area for hang on prices. Prices loading fifty thousand dollars on the money with fifty eight thousand miles on it. So you could even get as recent as a, as a, a C7 if you shop smart. But I think that you should go newer than the C5, just so you can get a more modern interior and the C6 has so much space it will shock you. You could do road trips in that with your wife. You can get the Target top. I think that might be the place to go than the C5. And you might surprise yourself with a Grand Sport.
0: That's interesting. I mean ultimately whatever you decide Josh, this thing has to get driven as much as you can because it yep. it's the special car, it's the side fun car, but it can't remain it can't be driven like that because you're investing yep. you know 50 grand in this thing. I mean, yep. for most people, $50,000 for the daily is way past the top end for, for most people's budget. So if oh, this yeah. is you know, just the fun sidecar, it has to be something that you're always attracted to and that you will always waffle on. When you come out the door, and you think, oh, I've got the Civic Type R and it's fun, but should I drive the new one? Should I get? Mm. Yeah, I should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, more miles on this thing than the Civic Type R, even though it's great. But you said it's not leaving, so... You've got eternity to put miles on that car, right? Yeah, this one funny. you don't. You're this right. is the fun car that might not stay. Yeah. Maybe it does, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, yeah, let us know. Write to us your car conclusions, your Topic Tuesdays, and most of all, your car debates. TV at gmail.com. It is car wash season. Always wash your car in a cool, shady spot, and always use the Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer or the Boss Foam Cannon from Griot's Garage. You can create a high-foam blizzard party right in your driveway with little to no work and avoid the wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. And don't forget, Griot's also has full ceramic family of products, including Speed Shine, Wash & Coat, and a 3-in-1 Wax. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all the liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order just for our audience. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com.
1: I love that when we post something as crazy as a Jaguar XJ220, you guys show up with questions. So (laughs) they're not actually all about that car, but that car is just so crazy to look at. Plus, I love... The gold wheels on that with the green paint—it was just so great looking. But you guys have got lots of great questions across the board on all kinds of things. I'm going to start right here with our friend Brian Penn, who just joined us on Pilgrimage, and he's writing it on Facebook and saying he wants to practice on on track and improve his skills. Is there a website he can go where he can plug in his area and find open track days? Brian, we've talked about it before, but now I know you're listening for sure. You can go to ms reg.com slash everyday driver that is the motorsport reg sub subcategory underneath Haggerty, and i've done this you put in your area and the radius and it will give you all the events coming up in your area and i get the email alerts and it reminds me that i don't go to track enough but you can get all that done and that is the easiest way to find those also brian i'm just going to encourage you i know you have a porsche you could just find autocross events and go to those
0: a question over here on Instagram from Tony S asking our thoughts on Andretti getting into F1. Should he? Why or why not? It's blindingly expensive to get into F1, <laughs> but I think Andretti should because Netflix has, I think opened the eyes of many people as to how interesting Formula One can be. I mean, granted there's plenty of boredom in races. There's plenty yeah, of like, yeah. Oh my gosh, the foregone conclusion. But, things have been dramatically shaken up this season and i you know hope for next the you know FIA is constantly changing the rules to make it more interesting really that's it's entertainment for fans i mean that's ultimately yeah, what motorsports yeah. is but for andretti to get into f1 andretti i think is the most recognizable name at least in north america for racing
1: probably probably yeah
0: i mean people who don't know cars know the name mario andretti associated with some crazy guy cut me off on the freeway is driving like Mario Andretti. Yeah, and you you're right. you're you right. know the Andretti name. And for yeah, Andretti to get into this, they're practically in every other category of racing on the planet including Formula yeah. E, and they're not in F1? That seems strange. It seems like the next logical step for that name to be associated with an F1 team. And for now, I I've read articles where everybody who is currently in F1 is very comfy with the arrangement. There's the top teams, the middle, and the lower, but everybody sure. knows what money they're making. You know The relationships are intact, but, ooh, outsider? I think the sport needs to be continually shaken up by that. Mm, yes, good. bring an 11th team. Yes, have more cars on track. Or, you know, I, I doubt Andretti can take over a team at this point, so it's probably an addition to the 10 teams. Sure, sure. But oh. still, yes, it would open up the doors because Mario is known for being the only f one driver the american f one driver who did the triple crown essentially who won all three of the big races and so I think Andretti bringing in some fresh new driver have a fresh take on things and suddenly there's more competition. I say yes to that it's it's fascinating, and they're seemingly based on news articles seemingly interested in it as soon as twenty twenty four
1: I'll be very curious, and you're right. it's funny how uh drive to survive on uh, on netflix has has completely transformed the average person's perspective on F1. Heck, I mean, I'll I'll admit it. I prefer watching that over watching the races because they organize it by story, which I think is really cool. But anyway, there's a bunch of questions related to manual transmission. I'm going to start right here with Ryan writing in on Facebook. He says, of all the manual transmissions we've driven, this is like a merging of things that I care about. (laughs) He says, of all the manuals we've driven, are there any cars that drive smoothly when the AC is running? He feels like every car he drives, (laughs) that's a manual. When the AC is on, the car is harder to drive. Ryan, have you driven big American V8s in manual with the AC running? Because I bet you money those don't stumble. Little tiny four-cylinder with a manual transmission. Yes, I have had that experience, and it is frustrating. But the big V8s don't care. And then they have the big fire hoses of air conditioning, and then you're happy. That's what happens. You just get happy.
0: Question on here from Martin L. saying, well, first of all, since we just did pilgrimage, what are our tips for driving in a foreign country? He and his family just picked up their Volvo V 90 CC last week and are driving around Sweden and Norway in it. And they even sent us a photo with an everyday driver sticker on the back window. Fantastic. Thank you for that. That's really cool. That is awesome. Well, the first thing of course is to, if it's a country you're unfamiliar with, I mean, we've been to Germany and Belgium a few times now and you need to understand the road signage. That is the biggest thing. Speed limits are pretty easy to come by. You just respect the speed limits. And you know, you'll know where the speed, uh, where the signs are. But when it comes to road signage and where car, you know, what what kind of car or vehicle is allowed in certain lanes and uh, just wayfinding, I think that's the biggest thing. So you're not driving in circles or taking wrong turns or holding up traffic or being a nuisance on the road by not knowing what the signage means. It's less of a language barrier than it is understanding what the different kinds of signage, you know, for wayfinding is. Yep. That's something to look into, of course, I'm sure there's plenty of articles on TripAdvisor or you know travel bloggers have written you know plenty of that stuff. Germany and Belgium is great. The signs are small, and they're all circular, which is a little bit different, but still yep. the the driving skill translates.
1: The driving skill does it it Paul hit it on the head and that is you have to figure out and there's websites you can pull up that you have to figure out what the local signage is, because sometimes the signs don't mean what you think they mean. Or it's a sign that you expect to see, but I didn't know you'd structure it like that. Once you solve those things, I remember when we lived in Norway, there were certain kinds of round signs that showed how a T-junction was supposed to operate. Like who has right-of-way at the upcoming T-junction. Right. the a certain little circular sign that would say that. And I've never seen the same kind of circular signage anywhere else than Norway. So I remember my parents had to learn that when we moved there. There's weird oddities like that that are country-specific. As soon as you learn those, it's pretty straightforward.
0: Drives with George J is getting caught up on the past month's episode and says there's been a lot of electric vehicle talk. Do we think the normal driver will be able to handle the acceleration and speed that an electric vehicle generates? I think ultimately, yes. I mean, any new vehicle you drive, people rent cars all the time. It's a shock, pun intended at first, but I think people will understand that you don't plant the throttle everywhere you go. But I do think that the usefulness of electric power is great for Taking advantage of holes in traffic, understanding that that hole in traffic is now attainable because you're an electric vehicle. Don't just plod along. Whereas if you're in a, a gas-powered car, you have to downshift two or three times, really get into the tack, and then you can make that, you know, get around the truck or something like that. But in EV, I think, I'd like to think that people would drive more smoothly and, and flow better. The, the flow of traffic between changing lanes would be better. Maybe I'm an optimist.
1: Well, I think you are being an optimist because I think there's going to be the, well, it just accelerated so much faster than I expected. The unintended acceleration moments where people put their foot in it, expecting it to accelerate at one level and it accelerated far beyond that. And now they're kind of out of their depth. I think there will be those stories, but I don't think they'll be incredibly common because I also think that most people that are not car people that are buying an EV, and I'm not just saying Tesla, I'm saying in general, they're buying an EV to look forward to driving the car with less involvement. So they're going to rely even more on the level two smart cruise control systems that they think are autonomy. I think the average person that doesn't know cars will probably never get into the pedal very far on an EV because in most cases they're gonna let the car drive itself as much as possible, and that will defend them. I'm not saying this is smart driving, but I think so many people that are not car people equate the two. Electric must mean it mostly drives itself, people are going to lean on it and have those issues versus just crazy acceleration. I think when they do Florida to light, they're going to kind of uh, horrify themselves.
0: Uh, Yeah, I suppose so. I just, I think most people that I've ridden with driving an electric car are more fascinated by gliding along noiselessly at 20 miles an hour. And there's no shifting. There's more of a, a wonderment like, Oh, it's so quiet. I'm just going to glide along at well under the speed limit and, So can my, meanwhile, everybody behind you is like, come on.
1: You're right. That's funny. Daniel Hahn writes in on Twitter and says he's going to his first track day this Friday in his brand new 2022 BRZ. Any tips, he said he's autocrossed before, but that's it. So this is his first actual track day he said he's heard people say racing pads or fluid are a must for the new 86 brz on track he's asking our thoughts a couple things we are actually going to do a brake upgrade with our friends at tower stop onto our gr86 they are just now getting parts in for the car because again it's still pretty new so we're excited to do an actual brake discussion on the car yes we have heard that if you're tracking it hard you do need high temp fluid and better brake pads but most cars, I will say, by the way, if you're going to track them hard, need a higher temperature brake fluid, even if they don't need race pads, because generally whatever you got from the manufacturer in your your brake fluid cannot hold up to high temperature. But then let me back up another step, Daniel, and say this. If it's your first track day, I'll be very surprised if you outdrive the brakes.
0: The average person Mm
1: -hmm. on their first track day doesn't use the brakes hard enough. The fact that you are wondering if it's the case, yes, I would love for you to defend yourself with better fluid and potentially better pads, but I don't think that most people on track day number one are going to completely set their brakes on fire. I have had this experience in other cars. I had this experience the first time I ever tracked the Lotus. The pads were good enough, but the fluid wasn't. Oh yeah. And at the end yeah. of the session, I started to have that pedal that goes to the floor, which is very disconcerting. So you don't want to have that experience. And I, I'm going to bet you it's more likely going to be fluid than pads. But um, I think if you go for your first day and you kind of know, okay, I haven't done these steps yet, I think you're probably not going to brake hard enough for to be an issue. But if the pedal, this is the main tip I've got for it, if the pedal starts to feel like, oh, I wish I had more braking power, don't keep driving as hard as you have been for it to get worse. If you start to feel like the pedal's going, it is going, it's time to back off.
0: Jared Rose One also asked a similar question about autocrossing. And, Jared, you've heard the tips and tricks there for, regarding brakes, but Jared's asking about helmet recommendations. Mm. And you've seen Todd and I in various cars with open face helmets and that's really primarily so you can see us talking, so you can see our faces on camera. Yeah. We've worn helmets where in some events you should have a full face helmet, but we do that specifically, you know, so you can see us see us talking on camera. But for autocrossing for the most part, you gotta ask yourself, you know, you, you don't want to cheap out. You want to get something good, generally full face. And what's your head worth to you, you know? So you want to spend three or $400 on something good. But any brand new helmet that you get will have the current Snell rating, which is, of yep. course, what you want. Read the rules for your track day, for, for the, the guide, the, for, the, um, for whatever autocross you're doing, the, the rules are essential. So just, you know, follow those closely. But like I said, a brand new helmet, you'll be well within spec. But also plan on having it no more than five years. And really take care of that helmet. Don't bang it against things. Don't set it down upside down on the ground. Don't treat it carelessly. Don't let it rattle around in the trunk. Yeah. Really take care of that because you will shorten the helmet's life if you do that to the helmet. I mean, it's it's designed to take knocks, but it's it's not a toolbox. So take yeah, care great. of that helmet. You're spending money on it. You're not going to have it more than five years or whenever the Snell rating expires or when your rules change for your autocross, but take care of that helmet treat it very carefully put it in the bag keep the the visor clean make make sure that that is your you know your baby your thing that's the most important part Figgy Mark asks if we're driving the new Acura Integra anytime soon, or is it not different enough from the Civic Si to justify time in our busy schedule? Absolutely want to drive it. You know, ideally, we'd love to compare it against a Civic Si, but we definitely want to drive it. We hope to soon, and we've reached out to Acura to see what's possible. But we're also looking forward to the Civic Type R soon as well. That uh, that really intrigues me. If it's anything close to what the Civic Si has done for the category, I think it's going to be amazing. Uh, but, yeah, Very we cool. definitely want to drive it, and uh, the vehicles will continue. So you can find both of our channels on the website. Second tab over is the YouTube tab, so you can go to our main channel, and that's where the Cars of the Past episode number two, film number two to the East Coast will be posted. And, of course, our ongoing test drive channel where we're just single-car reviews only, but it's our initial impressions. We've got a lot of cars coming, including the new Cadillac Lyric. The press launch was yep. held here in Park City. You've probably seen a lot of those reviews released already. The embargo date has passed, but we were pretty impressed. So that, that,
1: we that video's coming. coming. We, also, just you because know, we're bored, still finishing up season 11, we are already planning for the next season of TV and big comparisons. We're already putting together what comparisons those are going to be. So we're putting <laughs> a lot of stuff on the calendar. So there is tons more coming as always. I'm going to remind you again of two things. First off, Blipshift is doing a new shirt every week from us. They're currently doing the I like big 911s and I can't deny shirt. That is out there right now. They actually, a lot of people that don't know anything about Everyday Driver seem to really like that shirt. And Paul wears his with pride and gets people to do double takes. So you can go to everydaydriver.com and the store tab gets get you to Blip Shift, or it is one of the partner stores on the Blipshift thing. So that is there as well. So that is happening. And we're going to remind you again that this thursday is the monster east coast piece we so want you guys to see it we want you to share it but we just think it's so much fun so that is happening along with a bunch of new stuff coming to tv and amazon and eventually youtube over the upcoming months as we have killed ourselves the last couple months you guys are about to see the fruits of that and we're really excited guys thank
0: you so much for all your engagement your questions the emails continue you know where to find us and we love hearing from you guys Write to us looking forward to next time as always cheers everyone